Welcome to the Benito Juarez Experience. I am UM Navarro Rivera. And I am Luciano Joshua Gonzalez. Today we're talking about the working class. And I don't want that subject to be kind of like the discussions with being having and by the way say we I'm not talking about Luciano and I in this particular show but in 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 the country I may I may say in which there's this assumption of you know the working class being white even though statistically speaking a higher proportion of people of color are working class than white people uh there are also differences in definition of what working class is which in these day and age using surveys mostly mean people who have not completed a college education uh which is a little bit problematic but also because the subject of working class particularly among whites has come up uh when discussing uh the support base of uh our dear president of the United States Donald John Trump uh and and so i i you know it's an issue that I, it has to do a lot with the topics of this show right it's there's a secularism there is these uh interest in education and so we often think uh well not i'm not saying we as Luciano and I again but there's this narrative, particularly in the media, of uneducated people like being the leading racist in the country. Uh, and of course, coupled with the whole economic anxiety narrative of why white people ended up voting for Trump. And of course, it erases a lot of the working class people of color who actually didn't vote for Donald Trump and who also is suffering a lot of economic anxiety. And, and so, you know, when I got the idea, I shared an article in the Atlantic by Adam Server, uh, that with Luciano, and and so a lot of that it's gonna, a lot of the discussion is gonna come from from that particular article, but also from a lot of of things I have either written about in the past or that I have done research about. Uh, so I'm. I'm basically pulling from a lot of my experience doing work uh not just on race but also uh in public opinion people have long wondered how certain candidates can get as far as they can in their races and that's what we're going to be talking about today by and large because certain candidates there's a certain type of candidate we're talking about we're not talking about black nationalists running for office we're not talking about members of <clears throat> any Latin American civil rights groups or members of Asian American identity associations. We're talking about candidates who expose policies and who talk about things that clearly come from a white nationalist point of view. So one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is Donald Trump's candidacy. And we're also going to be talking about how he got the support that he did, because there's this narrative that it was poor white people who voted for Donald Trump, and also that it was poor people of all kinds of races who voted for Donald Trump, which paints the election a certain kind of way, and data does not really reflect that. 
And every single time, at the very least, every time in modern history, we hear candidates talking about this and we hear political analysts talking about this. It ignores something very important. It is not poor people exclusively who vote for candidates who espouse policies that seem as if they come out of a white nationalist playbook. It is people of a certain race, oftentimes, people of a certain skin color. And talking about that is very unpleasant. And it should be. It shouldn't be fun to have these conversations. It shouldn't give the people talking about them any sense of joy. And if it does, that's problematic for an entirely different reason. But it's still important that we have these conversations. It's still important that we analyze this properly and talk about it the way the data shows instead of interpreting data to fit a worldview that we have or that we want other people to have. That's pretty good, man. So when you think about Donald Trump's victory and who led him to that path, what do you think? The way that I would think about it, if I wasn't someone who was very interested in politics like I am, if I was someone who just watched the news, I would think that it was poor people. I wouldn't think, and I would think of it as poor people from across a wide variety of religious identities, of ethnic identities, of different skin colors. What would you think of it as, Joem? Yeah, I, I spent too much time on this. But one thing that it... I mean, I would think that the narrative it's certainly wrong and it you know it's kind of interesting because it's also you know the media narrative on Trump's base mirrors the stereotypes that the same people say Trump's base are pissed off about right and so that you know they're, they're uneducated hicks and the fact is that the Republican Party base is this upper middle class white, uh, you know, like mostly men, like, you know, the majority of white men and the majority of white women, but the majority, you know, to a larger extent, there's a gender gap in there, uh, wider than, uh, uh that is quite, uh, white, but, so when I think about who brought Trump to victory, I don't think that, you know, it's these contingent called the white working class, which to a large extent has, you know, it's, has been called before the Reagan Democrats. And as I tell people, well, Reagan was present like 40 years ago, or not, not yet 40 years ago, because that will make me 40 years old, which I am not. But, uh, you know, it was nearly 40 years ago. And so the people who are Reagan, who were Reagan Democrats are at this point in their lives either dead or Republican. So there's no such thing as a Reagan Democrat anymore. <laughs> and, and, but still as a percentage of the Republican party base, you know, they're certainly large, but you know, they're not the core economic supporters of the party. They provide a lot of votes. Uh, but also similar to other, uh, if, we, if we're to talking in pure economic terms, 
poor white people are the least likely to vote among whites. Uh, and so, you know, they also are a, lower, a, a, a smaller percentage of the electorate in that regard. And so when I'm thinking who brought Donald Trump to victory, it's all those elites uh, that the party represents that has been the core of the party for years and that actually didn't abandon him. Uh, all those people who were during the primary season saying they were never Trump and then they were like, eh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so that's what I think when, you know, when, when the media focuses so much in the white working class, well, that group has been overwhelmingly Republican for Ian. Like I remember writing a piece in 2012, 2013, uh, for PRI, uh, doing an analysis of the, yes, yeah, for probably 2012, uh, 2013, because I was talking about like a 30 year period of elections. Uh, so there's what not necessarily surprising, uh, to see that large support, uh, of whites, especially uh, of, of whites with no college, which is how uh, the media defines this particular segment of people, but also that uh, it's not surprising given that, you know, educational rates, like college graduation rates have gone up in the population as a whole, and especially among white people. So there's fewer people in that demographic, and so that demographic group also tends to become older and kind of like crankier conservative. Uh, so, the, the, you know, that kind of like pisses me off because at the end of the day, the people who actually became a phenomenon and, and who actually rooted a lot for Trump, especially online, were these wealthy, educated, cranky, white supremacist trolls who are nothing but, like, you know, children of the Republican elite, uh, you know, college Republicans who are now uh, the vanguard of the racist right. Uh, so, it's, you know, it's not poor people who are actually uh, behind the rise of Trump and not certain people, are not certain the people most excited about Trump as a president. Something that you touched on that's extremely important that more people, both political activists and regular people need to realize is that voting is a privilege. And I don't mean this in the sense that people of color are disenfranchised, although they are. And that's an extremely important thing to talk about. But I mean this in the sense that the electorate, as you mentioned, skews towards the wealthy. If you have money, if you are in the middle class or if you're in the middle or if you're in the upper class, you are more likely to go out and vote. You are more likely to be politically active. You're more likely to be politically engaged because when people who are in the lower class think of how to divide their time, they don't think about going out and voting. They don't think about going out and doing things that make them politically active. They don't think about going out and campaigning for a candidate. They think about survival. And it's something that lots of people, especially Hispanics, have started talking about more frequently. But it's something that people need to realize. And it's part of the reason why we as political strategists, we as political analysts, we as people who just pay attention to politics need to kill this myth that like working class anyone is the vanguard of any political group because it's a dangerous myth. And it suggests that 
any particular political party has the overwhelming support of the lower class. Although in this election, the people who were economically vulnerable tended to vote for Clinton. Not in this election, but in last year. Yeah, uh, something that you mentioned, like there's these uh, classical uh, political scientist E. Schneider, who wrote a book, uh, one of the most important books I think in in, in American politics, the semi semi sovereign people, was so so important. My my late advisor. Uh, Howard Ryder used to have a copy of the Savvy Sovereign People that was falling apart of how many times he had read it. Uh, and, but, but, Chad Schneider has one of the, uh, most enduring quotes, uh, of American politics in, in that book. And is that the heavenly chorus, uh, sings with a strong upper class accent in American politics. <laughs> and, And yeah, so, you know, it, it's not just voting, it's like running for office. We have a very, uh, and this does not apply just to, to Republicans, it also applies to Democrats. Uh, it's one of the few areas in which I'm very bipartisan, uh, <laughs> in which, you know, running for office is a privilege, and I actually wrote an article last year calling it the, that's titled The Privilege of Running for Office, because to run for office, you need Not just money, and to run for Congress, you need money, and either being self-sufficient or have rich friends or have a rich uncle who's willing to 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 bankroll you. But in in, in it's wealthy in terms of time, right? Like people who have comfortable or flexible office jobs are more likely to volunteer for boards and. To volunteer uh, in any kind of, not necessarily just political activities, but also in terms of volunteering for even civic activities. Uh, and and most of the elective offices in this country, you know, at this at the local level, uh, are voluntary on a voluntary basis. So people who are like eking out a living with two three jobs and then trying to raise kids. Or take care of their parents or sick relatives or, or whatnot are certainly not gonna do those activities. Not because they don't care about politics, but because they're trying, as you said, to survive. Uh, but at the same time, you know, so, so th that's the, that's the political base in this country. The wealthier you are, the more likely you are to be a Republican. So Republicans always have like a higher, Average, uh, median income than Democrats, and that also leads to what you have hinted before that you know these discussion of the working class as Trump's base basically erases uh, the large proportion of people of color in this country who are working class and who certainly didn't vote for Donald Trump. Uh, and this is not something that just the media does you know that erases people of color as as working class either because they are talking about a special class of white people or because they assume all of us are working class uh and so you know we, it doesn't really matter to talk about people of color because you know they all voted for Hillary but they are all working class so who cares uh which is also not true right uh 
I mean, I have a working class background in the sense that I was raised by both parents who didn't, didn't go to college. Uh, but I have a PhD, so I don't think uh, in any of the jobs I have held since I graduated from college, I wouldn't consider them working class. Uh, so, you know, it's also a, a widely crazy generalization that most people of color are, are working class, but most people of color are working class. And they voted for Hillary Clinton, and not just Hillary Clinton, they voted for Democrats uh, in record numbers for Barack Obama. Uh, and and so it you know that that whole narrative erases that and it's it basically ignores a, a very important conversation particularly when we talk about the going back to our very happy topics uh in this episode uh <laughs> and, you know let's talk to about Charlottesville right like you know a, a lot of people talk about like how the KKK and all the groups went there because we like to associate the KKK with racist ignorance. But, I mean, the organizers were like Richard Spencer and all these guys who are, like, you know, highly educated and uh, certainly not grown poor. And so, you know, the, these assumptions that only racist, only ignorant people or white ignorant people are racist is something that we need to contend. And and to a large extent, you know, not not just reframe the narrative of working class to allow to show that you know working class people comes from all racial backgrounds, but also that racism is not just a thing that white working class people do. The problem is that doing this would be very uncomfortable, and and it's true, and that's a fair thing to say. But the problem is when people say that like it's a valid reason to not do it. Because I don't know if you remember, but I was watching coverage on election night last year, and I heard Van Jones talk about a white lash. I remember the backlash that he received for saying that both like on air and online. But that was an accurate thing to say, according to all sorts of contemporary analysis of last year's presidential election. It was fair to say that 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 this is not a working class coalition. It's a nationalist one, which is what the article that we're going to be putting in the description says. And it's right in the middle. It talks about the fact that it wasn't poor people who voted for Donald Trump. It was white people who voted for Donald Trump. It was everyone from the CEOs of the top of the companies and the professors in the universities to the cashiers at Burlington, like where I work, to the movie managers and the people who pop popcorn, the people who make fast food. It's people of all sorts of different careers who voted for Donald Trump. It wasn't just the people at the bottom. Yeah, that was brilliant. And yeah, so it, 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 it is a, it is an aspect that we need to contend with. If we are going to accurately describe what's been going on. Uh, and, also, how many disparate things that nationalism entails, that white nationalism entails. Uh, I just recently, and I, I, if I find it again, uh, through Google, I will share it in the links. There was a piece, I believe in the nation, uh, that just came out, 
about uh one of the reporters that went to uh again I I hate to mention him again but a Richard Spencer National Policy Institute conference uh in actually here in Maryland and uh that they were like talking in anti-capitalist terms like trying to uh redefine themselves all these like you know a bunch of rich white kids trying to redefine themselves as working class heroes uh <laughs> but in a way that you know i mean you know there's there's the aspect of certainly there's there's a lot of anti-semitism in those groups and to to a lot to to many of them you know capitalism wasn't a bad thing if there were a lot of Jews involved in it as they believe that you know Jews control everything uh so i i i i think their leftism comes from the fact that they have this huge Jewish conspiracy uh going on but also the fact that you know a lot of them have been talking about the strategy of breaking up the left with uh with basically socialist policies uh to bring out uh you know white people and fight it out with people of color and basically have exclusionary uh distribution policies which if which we have actually tried out like social security and uh for example wasn't explicitly uh banned f uh for use by african americans but Coincidentally, uh, jobs that were mostly held by African Americans were excluded from Social Security. So it's not like the United States don't have a history of uh, segregationist uh, uh, socialist type benefits, but it's uh, you know it, it's an interesting turn of events in which like we are seeing. A Republican Party that it's gone nationalist, but what does that mean uh, in terms of how they ben benefit themselves? Is uh, a very it's a very contentious debate within the party. The contention of the the future shape of the Republican Party is going to be shaped by individuals like Donald Trump. And it's going to be shaped by the fact that Republican political pundits are smarter than we give them credit for. Because people people know the fuel that led Donald J. Trump to victory. People are well aware of it. At the very least, the alt-right knows it, which should be problematic to everyone and should be enough of a reason for everyone to responsibly and accurately report on the factors that led Donald Trump to victory. And it wasn't exclusively... It wasn't exclusively the white people who led Donald Trump to victory. There was a much better way for me to phrase that. It wasn't exclusively white voters who led Donald Trump to victory. There were other factors. But downplaying the role that white voters of all economic classes had on his victory is irresponsible. And it will lead to future elections of equal consequence being lost by the Democrats. And by other groups that emerge in the wake of America's current politics. It's irresponsible, it's reckless, and more than anything else, it's just lazy to act as if we should 
pretend that this narrative that the white poor people led Donald Trump to victory is a true narrative. It's one backed by facts because any factual analysis that focuses on existing data will look at the election and will clearly show what the Atlantic did. And weirdly enough, the Atlantic article, I think it was partially because of its length, but the Atlantic article was published not even a month ago. But it was one of the most thorough analyses of the election in terms of race and class that I've seen in a while. So I'm surprised it took them that long. But it's also a beastly article to read. It is, it is several pages long. And now that you mentioned the future, I think that's another important aspect of it. Uh, and something that I hinted before is that you know the leadership that 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 it's the the future of the party, and I I don't remember where I read this. We have been in the Washington Post. Uh, to a large extent, belongs to Bannon. Like the college Republicans have become uh, a bastion of white supremacy. And just two weeks ago, my alma mater, the University of Connecticut, hosted. Uh, I forgot his name and I don't want to Google it, uh, but let's call it, uh, a smush, a schmucky, wha- Mike Whitey Pants. Uh, <laughs> uh, some guy who was, uh, giving a speech of, is it wrong being white? Uh, and, and that was sponsored by the college Republicans in Connecticut. Uh, and if you know anything about Connecticut, uh, the college Republicans in Connecticut and the Republican Party in Connecticut is as elitist as you can get. And, and so don't tell me that, you know, that this is, that the, the rise of Trump was fueled just by, uh, Rednecks in Alabama who are now supporting Roy Moore when the Republican, the college Republicans of the University of Connecticut are basically giving intellectual, if we can use that word very broadly, uh, father to these, uh, you know, white supremacist, uh, th- uh thoughts that are coming out. So I would like for both of us to talk briefly about the future and what this working class, we, we did talk about this for like two seconds now, but I want us to give closing thoughts on this because we're at the 27 minute mark. I'm going to go first and I'm going to say that it's extremely, it is genuinely monumentally important that anyone who wants to consider themselves a political analyst and a political commentator look long and hard at this article and the multitude of other articles that have been published since the election that talk about white, for lack of a better word, white rage. And this does not apply to all white people. This does not apply to all white voters, but this applies to the voters who voted because they think that their problems are caused by the existence of people of color in this country. This is not a condemnation of white voters because not all white voters think like this. And as the article points out, the more wealth you had as a white voter, 
the more likely you were to not <clears throat> to not necessarily vote for Trump automatically. There was pretty much even performance among, at the higher levels of the economic spectrum between the two candidates. So it's clear that this does not apply to every single person. We are not saying that. The purpose of people pointing this out is to remind people that if you say that it was the poor who elected Donald Trump or anyone like him, you are being wrong. And in many cases, you're being willfully dishonest. You're not necessarily doing it for nefarious purposes, but you are doing it because you don't want to have a difficult conversation. And that's irresponsible when the fate of so many people is at stake, whether it's the dreamers, whether it's atheists who want to become viable political candidates, or it's Muslims in this country. There are lots of people whose lives are at stake and whose lives will be affected by this and future elections. And we need to have honest conversations for their sake, if for no one else's. Hashtag not all white people. <laughs> uh, but the future, uh, you know, I think the future, it's really bleak, maybe. Uh, one of the things that, again, like commentators and, and, and the media, uh, not the fake news media, but the media in general, have have been talking about for like I, I would say like maybe ten fifteen years have been the you know the the upcoming time when whites are gonna become the minority, which is actually to a large extent also fueling a lot of this economic anxiety. I mean, quote unquote economic anxiety uh, among white people that you know they're they're gonna see their country invaded by hordes of uh brown people like us and and but that you know that the republican party is going to hit a a demographic wall uh because you know millennials are the most diverse uh, you know your people millennials are the most diverse uh, generation ever and they are all kumbaya and they're having mid race babies and stuff like that and I mean, you know, the the hippies were the most liberal libera <laughs> generation of their time, and now they're like, you know, elected Donald Trump and and, and Mitch McConnell. So, I, uh, you know, I, 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 the these kumbaya dreams of like, you know, millennials are very tolerant. I mean, millennials are are very tolerant of the topics that are controversial to old people. Uh like same sex marriage and uh I think that's probably the one that you know they kinda like are the the largest uh uh gap in terms of age. Uh but also like maybe some economic issues because baby boomers like were given the keys of the kingdom and screw it up and the uh younger generations are basically being handed the bill of goods. So there's certainly a more leftish uh bent in that regard. But uh there is evidence that certainly white millennials have racial attitudes that are not that dissimilar from their older peers. Which is not surprising given that they're raised in the same households. So um 
you know, it's it's gonna be uh, you know, it's gonna be trying times uh in the near future, uh, and and I, we're talking about the the political polarization of the country that is becoming basically uh you know two parties that have become racially polarized as. The majority of white people become uh, are Republicans, and the majority, the vast majority of people of color are Democrats. Uh, so I don't think these are issues that are going to be solved uh, immediately, but certainly should give us food for thought in terms of how we think about the Republican coalition and and how race has played into either the backlash to President Obama, the election of Donald Trump. And how class and race are intertwined uh, in those effects. Well, now that we've reached the end of the episode, the last thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to ask my question. Joanne will ask his, as per usual. And for my question, I just wanted to ask you guys what... After you listen to our conversation and you, at the very least, check out the articles that we share, I would like for you guys to let us know what you think. I would like for you guys to share your thoughts and analysis of these articles and of the conditions that led to the rise of Donald J. Trump and the victory of candidates like Greg Gianforte and the possible victory, terrifyingly enough, of Roy Moore in Alabama and in Montana. I would like for you guys to share your opinions of these races and what they mean for the future of this country, and just for you guys to hopefully feel more optimistic about this than we do. And for you guys, from my end, it's how do you, do you think it's possible across racial uh, working class coalition, or that it's just a pipe dream of uh, socialist and, and other... Uh, idealists in the country and do you think millennials are going to be able to solve our issues or uh, we just gave them too much in their plate uh, to get rid of alright this has been the Benito Juarez experience with Luciano Gonzalez and Juem Navarro Rivera be sure to like the podcast share the podcast Subscribe to it on whatever you're listening to it on and review it with whether it's in English or in Spanish. Let us know what you thought, what we can do better, what you would like to see more of and what you'd like to see less of. Until next time. Bye. What you would like to see more of and what you'd like to see less of. Until next time.